0: Reimagining Time is a podcast that shares the stories and ideas of educators who are changing the way they use time to meet student needs.
1: Time is probably the most important resource that a school has.
0: This is a subject that we've delved into on this podcast before, how school and achievement are so often based off of the time a student sits in a seat and the grade they get, determining whether or not they pass a class. But is that the most effective use of time? This naturally leads to the idea of competency-based education and student achievement being determined by mastery of a subject. In this episode, we talk to Brian Stack, former educator, New Hampshire High School Principal of the Year, and current speaker and PD provider. You may have listened to our conversation with him from Season 1, where he was joined by Jonathan Vander Els as they really broke down what competency education means and how it affects grading practices. But today, the education landscape isn't the same. Schools are dealing with increasing challenges, many as they try to recover from the pandemic. We wanted to know Brian's thoughts on the current situation and how competency-based education fits in, as well as the PLC process. I just wanted to ask from your recent work, some of your consulting that you're doing um, coming out of the pandemic, is there like one challenge that stands out that you've seen a lot of um, educators struggle with?
1: I've been, since the school year started, I've probably been in about 25 or 30 different schools, big, small, elementary, middle, high, East Coast, West Coast, and it's interesting. Everybody's talking about post-pandemic and what that looks like. Everybody's talking about how it's just different, and so the kids are different. The adults are different. The priorities are a little different. I mean, of course, the focus is still teaching and learning, but how folks get there is definitely different. I think that the, for me, the biggest thing, the biggest challenge that I'm seeing is that folks recognize that the way they were doing things pre-pandemic just isn't serving kids' needs.
0: How have students' needs changed? The disruption brought on by the pandemic may have exaggerated issues that were already there, but it's clear that student mental health, social-emotional skills, and understanding in some areas has suffered.
1: And we have to be much more responsive to what the kids need when they need it and making sure that we can provide timely, targeted interventions and extensions for kids along the way. and you know, staffing is a huge issue for folks across the board. I haven't found a school yet that says they have plenty of staffing to go around. Interestingly, the budget part's not an issue. The money is there. It's finding people to work. Salaries just haven't adjusted with the times yet. Uh, A lot of union contracts and things at play there. People leaving the profession, people coming back in. So really, it's making schools rethink how they provide those supports.
0: It's kind of a bleak picture, but as we'll see, many schools are figuring out where to make the shifts in a way that has the most impact. If you're an educator, you don't need someone to tell you that things are challenging. Is there anything specific that could help?
1: People? Yeah. yeah. (laughs) I know we can't always do that. I mean, you know... I put my, I put my hat on for what I do with training with teachers, you know, professional learning communities and competency-based learning are the two things that, that dovetail together really well that, that I work with teachers on. And I think that that's probably the secret, not because it's a model, but because it provides a structure for a model and it provides a structure for folks to be a little bit more responsive to what kids need and to think about their resources differently.
0: Without a structure or any goals, we can kind of just float from day to day. Or if you have goals but no plan or available resources to meet them, it can be super frustrating. When talking about approaches like competency-based learning and functioning as a professional learning community, you start to be more intentional you're not just floating around, you have a plan for how to respond to students and what to focus on.
1: Yeah, it's definitely intentional. I mean, you know, the competency-based model in and of itself is intentional in that you're focused on what kids need to know and be able to do Mm -hmm. and identifying ways that you can assess students at deeper levels of learning and get a grade that represents the, the actual learning that took place and not some of the behaviors that went into it. Mm -hmm. Uh, Not that the behaviors aren't important, but if you've got a skill that you're trying to assess, you wanna know to what degree a student has learned that skill. And if they haven't learned it, then you wanna think about what you need to do to support that student so that they can grow and develop their learning. Professional learning communities provide the structure for teachers to have some of those conversations. And again, like you said, get really intentional about what that means for kids.
0: Now, it seems like there is a greater need for this kind of learning. Despite the pandemic challenges, one thing that became apparent was that there are other ways of doing things than the way they've always been done. It also highlighted where some students struggled and others thrived. Thinking about professional learning communities or PLCs, when that's how a school functions, they immediately begin by identifying what students need to know and be able to do, how to identify that and how to respond. And the key really is functioning as a PLC, not just having PLCs. Is there a difference? Yes.
1: I think there's a greater need. Yeah. You know, I go into a lot of schools that say they're a professional learning community. Mm -hmm. And when you really unpack what their collaborative teams are doing, they're sharing resources. Well, that's great. But they're not having the intentional conversations about kids and what the kids need right? So, I mean, that, and that's a huge difference, right? When you can get a team to rally around a competency that they're trying to assess with kids, collect some data, look at that data and say, okay, we've got a group of kids who are getting it. We've got a group of kids who aren't getting it. What are we doing for these kids along the way? And that's, that's something that is really different from the way we've operated in years past.
0: These conversations are essential and as the world has clearly changed and continues to change, student needs will change as well. How so?
1: You know, pre-pandemic, there was a lot of assumptions made that, you know, we'll spiral through the curriculum and keep teaching kids the standards. And if they don't pick it up the first time, they'll pick it up the second time or the third time. But they don't. They, they don't. And what's happening now, post-pandemic, is kids are just different. They learn differently differently. In a lot of cases, they're missing some of those study habits that they would have developed along the way, or at the very least, they're missing a consistency to it, right? And, you know, I was in a school district last week in New York State, uh, about a couple hours west of New York City, and it was an elementary school. And the teachers were just talking about how the kindergartners were like feral, Like, they they just, the things that they're working with them at that age are things that you would expect a three-year-old to be doing, right? And then jump up a few years, third grade teachers are talking about how kids have the maturity level and the attention span of first graders, right? Fifth graders are like third graders, even at the high school
0: level. Maybe you've noticed this where you teach. And it's not to put blame on kids or parents, but when circumstances are challenging, stressful, even filled with grief as they have been, there will be effects. According to Brian.
1: It's just a result of the pandemic. We can sit around and we can say, too bad, so sad, and you know, blame it on everything else, or we can do something about it. And that's really what we need to do is do something about it.
0: It's not all bad. Kids may need extra support in some areas.
1: But on the flip side, the kids are also, they're a little more resilient. Yeah. You know, they don't, especially the younger ones, they wouldn't have known any better. This is just the way they were raised. The older yep. ones, okay, maybe maybe they can remember school from before and now school after. And there was this big gap in between where things just look different depending on what your home situation was. But I do love seeing the fact that kids are very passionate about the things that they really love the most mm-hmm. you know so yes maybe we've got to rethink the ways that we engage kids for all of the schooling but when you can hook a kid and and you have them excited about something that they love doing they'll really learn it at a deep level
0: so you can see the balance here again it comes down to how you're responding to student needs in some areas kids are going to need help they're going to need academic support, mental health support, social-emotional learning, but they also need time to develop their skills and passions. They need time to get excited about learning again. You may have experienced this yourself during the past couple of years, spending more time at home than usual. Think about the
1: kids, and adults for that matter, that picked up hobbies and skills during the pandemic and really accelerated those, that we can leverage that. As, and as, I think as a profession of teachers, we have to leverage that because that's just the way kids learn, and that's not a bad thing, right? I mean, that's we want kids and adults to be really excited about what they're doing. Otherwise, what's the point?
0: This is one reason why at Enriching Students, we really like to emphasize the importance of enrichment for schools and not enrichment reserved only for high-achieving students all of the time. All students can be given opportunities during the school day to find the things they can get excited about. But one problem with addressing student needs and changing to address them is that teachers are overwhelmed right now. A PLC is a great idea, and it's more than an idea, it's a continuous process that helps educators become more effective and ensure that student needs are being met. A PLC is not just a meeting, as we discussed, but how a school functions. And as Brian has been sharing, the case for adopting the PLC process is arguably stronger than ever. But how can schools begin to operate as a PLC without completely overwhelming teachers?
1: Well, it's a great question. Uh, you know, my, my quick advice is start somewhere, but start. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, there's so much to the PLC process that it can be overwhelming and daunting, to look at a school that's been using a professional learning community model for a long time and say, we're never gonna get there. We don't have the resources to do it. It's just, it's just not gonna be in the cards, but you have to remember a really effective, highly effective school that's been using the PLC model didn't get that way overnight. It was a slow move in that direction, but they stayed the course and stayed focused.
0: This is a reassuring point and can help drown out a lot of extra noise. Focus on small steps you can take. Brian highlights the simplicity of PLCs and their main focus.
1: Professional learning communities really focus on three big ideas. The first one is teaching and learning. All educators in the school are focused on helping students achieve at high levels. And that's important. And the conversations and the work with your collaborative team is focused on how you can do a better job, teaching so that students do a better job learning. It's, it causes you to be really reflective about your instructional practices, the assessment data that you collect and the strategies that you implement to help students when they're struggling or when they've already gotten it.
0: A professional learning community is about professional learning, teachers learning and working collectively to figure out how they can improve their craft and benefit students.
1: That second big idea is really about collaborative culture. It's, it's not my students and your students, it's our students collectively. And that can be a mind shift for folks to think about their profession in terms of sharing the load with others on their team. Mm-hmm. I know certainly when I started teaching a long, long time ago, it was here are your classes, here are your students, here's your grade book. We'll see you in six months at the end of the semester. And I was a high school math teacher in Massachusetts. It's just a different time, you know.
0: This one may be difficult. You may have heard educators such as Brian Butler in our past podcast episodes speaking to this topic, that it can be easy to adopt the one-room schoolhouse mentality where there are my students and your students. But the second big idea means that they are our students. And in many ways, that lessens the burden of the individual teacher.
1: And that third big idea for a PLC is to focus on results. Mm -hmm. So it's great to feel good about what you're doing, but feeling good isn't going to help students achieve, right? You got to be focused on results, find data, find evidence that you can collect that points to the results that you're looking for set goals and stay laser focused on achieving those goals. If you do those three things, just a little bit, you're doing the work of a PLC. Once your team starts working together, you're going to create momentum. It's going to get easier to do the work and you're going to be able to take on more. And then you're going to look back five years from now and say, oh my gosh, look how far we've come as a professional learning community. Mm -hmm. The Bible, if it will, of professional learning communities is called learning by doing, written by the do learning by doing. And that's That's what it's all about. You can't sit around and talk about it. You can't plan it out. At some point, you've got to get up and go.
0: So how can schools use time to readjust their schedule and make this happen?
1: Schools have to look at that, right? Really, there are two things that you can control as a school leader. And one is your staffing and the second is time. Those are your biggest resources that you have to work with. And I say control. I mean, I recognize you don't have an endless amount of time. You don't have an endless amount of staffing, but you do have control over how you allocate those resources. And, and I, it used to frustrate me for years as a high school principal where people would come up to me and say, well, Brian, that would be great if we could do it, but we just don't have time. I'm like, what? Well... We've got to figure out how to make the time. If we need more time, it's got to come from somewhere. So maybe we need to take some things off our plate in order to create that time.
0: If you're a school leader, this is where it really helps to lean on teams.
1: Obviously, working in a team helps you be more efficient and make better use of time. But at some point, as you suggested, you have to look at your schedule and see if kids are getting the best use of time.
0: And this ties us back into competency-based education. There are questions that guide the PLC process and the competency-ed approach, and they're fairly similar. The last couple of questions for both relate to how educators respond to student learning. And this is directly connected to a school's use of time. Think about this.
1: With a competency-based approach, the, the basis of it is that students move on when they're ready. Mm -hmm. They move on when they've demonstrated mastery.
0: If students' learning is based on mastery, how would it be for students who had 45 minutes to learn a new math concept, but that wasn't enough time for them? What do they do to avoid falling behind? Or what about the students who understood the concept in the first 20 minutes? Now they're stuck for the remaining 25. With competency-based education, how time is used will look different.
1: It's this assumption that just because you sit in a classroom for... So many days, hours, minutes, it doesn't equal learning. Something bigger than just the amount of time you spend has to take place, right? And we've all seen this as adults. It may take you seven or eight hours to learn some kind of a skill like knitting or shooting hoops, right? And somebody else may pick it up really quickly. But at some point, you both can agree what it looks like to demonstrate that skill successfully. So we just have to recognize that when we're building schools, this idea that some kids are just going to need more time and some are going to need less time to practice the skill and get feedback on the skill, it's got to be baked into the model.
0: But how is that time actually baked in, as Brian says? In his own personal experience as a high school principal and with his work now with various schools across the country, he has evidence to share.
1: So what I've seen a lot of schools doing over the years is building in some flexible time into their school days so that students and adults have a little bit more control over that variable that some kids need more of and some kids need less of. We did it several years ago in my high school. I've seen a lot of the high schools that I work with around the country moving to this model. I see it in the elementary and the middle schools, right? So it's this idea that you can be flexible uh, with with your time. And, um, you know, when we did it in my school, of course, it's never perfect, right? You can't build a perfect schedule, you, but you can build a schedule that has a couple of high priorities that you meet. So we
0: made having a time period like that a high priority. One of the first steps to examining and rearranging your schedule is identifying the essentials, the high priority items. Everything else can fit around those things. So if you know that some flexible time during the school day is something you need, you can make it a priority and make other small shifts around it. How did they do it at Brian's school?
1: We found the best time of the day that we could offer it that minimized the disruption on other parts of our schedule. We, we took a few minutes out of each of our class periods in order to create the time, with the logic being that if we take five minutes off every period, It doesn't really mean you're going to get five minutes less of instructional time. It means that that instructional time is going to be used in a different way so that students and adults can focus for kids, high value focus on what they need to spend that time on. And then we create that time. I've seen elementary schools do it in such a way so that that time is actually different for different grade levels so that they can take their specialists and move them in and have them be available for every grade level in the school. But I've seen a lot of secondary schools like to have that time be the same for everybody across the board because they want students to be engaged in some of the choice making for how they spend their time. So they want to make sure that all of the teachers and all of the students are available at the same time.
0: It can be tricky for some teachers to accept. If a few minutes are taken from the class, it can feel like they're losing time. But really, what they're gaining is more focused time with the students who really need it. And as Brian highlighted before, things have changed.
1: And, and for the adults, they, you know, you got to flip your thinking a little bit. So again, I'll go back to myself multiple decades ago when I was a high school math teacher. I believed that my job was to teach students math for 180 days. And at the end of the 180 days, when I finished my instruction... The goal was that they will have learned what they needed to learn. If they didn't learn it, they repeat it, they take summer school, whatever it be. That's not what the focus is now, right? Our focus now as teachers is to ensure that students have mastered a number of competencies and essential standards that have been identified either by our state, our school district or our collaborative team. And so again, if that's the charge, and you recognize that all students learn differently and all students learn at different rates, then you have to have time as a variable to make that happen.
0: So the last question is, um, if you were talking with a school that wants to reimagine time, um, what advice would you give them?
1: Well, I would tell them first, they need to be very clear about why they're looking to do that. Um, So They need to know exactly how they want to spend that time. And that message needs to be very clear to the adults and the students, because if you create the time and you fail to clarify what it's for, Mm -hmm. then your results are only going to be as good as you might expect with that kind of a model. So then I also think it's important that you figure out what your structure is going to be. Um, you know, if you need a software tool, you can have a software tool to do that. If you want to do it by hand, you could do that too. I don't recommend it if you're a bigger school, but if you're a small school, you can probably get away with that, but you want to be, you want to make sure that the time is well spent. The last thing that you want people to accuse you of is wasting resources, right? And that's time is probably the most important resource that a school has. And it's important to help the kids be successful.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of Reimagining Time, and we especially want to thank the educators who have shared their time and hard work with us. This podcast is produced by Enriching Students, a software tool that's designed to help schools manage flex time. It's about time. Tune in for a new episode of Reimagining Time every two weeks on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, and more.